Good morning. It is that time for our kids to head to Children's Church. So they're going to head out that way over to the other building and have a grand time over there. It's good to see everybody today. We are glad that, that you have, have joined us uh, this morning for worship. It's always good to join, join our hearts, our, our souls, our voices together in, in worship and to to come together as, as community. Uh, so a couple, a couple of months ago, Ashley and I went to, uh, went to lunch at Chewy's in Round Rock. And this was Ashley's, one of our favorite places pre-pandemic, but it was Ashley's like favorite restaurant pre-pandemic. But we hadn't, we hadn't been there in like over a year at this point. But we get there, we get to Chewy's, we sit down at our booth, order our drinks, chips and salsa have arrived. Like, we're, we're committed at this point. We're here. This is, this is where we're going to be. But we haven't even looked at a menu yet uh, because, like, we both know what we get here. You know, we know what we order at Chewy's. We don't even need a menu. But eventually, we finally are like, well, we should, should at least look at it, right? <laughs> eventually, we look at the menu, and we notice that each of the things that were our typical orders are not on their pared-down COVID menu, <laughs> Uh, like, there's one thing, like, it's Ashley's favorite place because of their veggie enchiladas, and those are no longer on their COVID menu. And, and the combination whatever that I got, I don't even remember what it was. That's why I needed the menu. Like, I, don't, I know what it is. I need to remember what it's called. It wasn't on there either. And so then we, we both have this moment where we look at each other, like, what are we even doing here, right? <laughs> like, what's the point of being open if you're not going to have the two main dishes <laughs> that, we, that we like? But we toughed it out because, you know, everything else was already there. So we ate there, but we probably won't be back in a while. Because if, if they don't have those items, then what, what is even the point? Because I'm imagining that most of us have had that moment of frustration where you walk into a restaurant and, and there's one thing that you wanted to get there and they don't have it or it's not on the menu anymore. I walked into my favorite Sefco a couple of weeks ago. I've talked about my favorite Sefco. I have a favorite Sefco. I walked into the favorite Sefco, the out of order sign on the Dr. Pepper. I just walked out and left. I just waved at the lady. I was like, I'll see you, see you when it's back. Like, I have no use for you, Sefco, if you don't have, if you don't have Dr. Pepper. What's even the point? Uh, so there's this, there's this morning when Jesus is, is walking into Jerusalem. And, and I, I think of stories like that whenever I read this story. Because we've all had those moments where we're frustrated. We've all had those moment, moments where we're maybe a little bit hangry, Right? And so on this particular morning, Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, and he's hungry. Now Mark tells us, Mark tells us that Jesus had been in Jerusalem the night before, um, but he goes to the temple and says it's already late, so Jesus just kind of looked around. He doesn't tell us anything else at that point, but it's a little bit of foreshadowing. He goes into the temple, he looks around, and he and his disciples go back out to this village outside of Jerusalem to Bethany. This is where they're staying while they're kind of in town at Jerusalem. Bethany's where Mary and Martha lived. Maybe they're staying at Mary and Martha's house, but they're staying with someone in Bethany. So the next morning then, they get back up. They go into Jerusalem. They're going to go to the temple. But maybe Jesus slept through his alarm clock that morning, didn't hit the snooze button, whatever it was. Maybe he didn't get breakfast. He's hungry on the way into Jerusalem. And in the distance, he sees a fig tree. Now, it wasn't the season for figs, but, but he sees this fig tree in the distance, and the fig tree has leaves on it. 
And, and if a fig tree had leaves on it, then it should at least have some young, maybe not quite ripe figs, but there should be something on it, even if it's not the season for figs. So Jesus goes, he walks over to this fig tree to get something to eat. He gets up to it, and he sees that there's no figs on it at all. Not even any kind of little, young, not quite ripe ones yet. And so Jesus, in a moment that seems like frustrated hangriness, <laughs> Jesus says to the fig tree, may no one eat fruit from you ever again. Which just seems harsh. <laughs> like, Jesus, it's not even the season for figs. <laughs> I was saying Jesus as his name, not as, you know, taking his name in vain. Literally talking to, to Jesus here. Get that straight. <laughs> but everyone else standing around here, they notice this. He's, he's frustrated with this fig tree. And they're probably wondering, like, what's, what's going on here? And if we read that, that, that story just out of any other context of anything else around it, we would probably have the same questions. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you so mad at this fig tree? But it seems like something else is happening here. There's something else going on. And remember, he's, he's on his way to the temple where he takes this little pit stop at this fig tree. And I think what Jesus is wanting to do for his disciples is frame everything that's about to happen in Jerusalem around this encounter that he has with this fig tree. Because Jesus sees a fig tree fully in bloom and leaf, whatever it is that a fig tree is that broadcasts to the world, I've got some fruit here. And he goes up to it and there's no fruit. And for Jesus, it's like, what's, what's even the point of having a fig tree and having leaves and all this stuff if you're not going to have any fruit on you? What's the point in Chewy's being open if you're not going to have my food? What's the point in Sefco if you're not going to have Dr. Pepper, right? There's just some things that if you don't have this, there's not really, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And remember, he'd been in the temple the night before, seen everything that's going on there. And now he's about to go back to the temple. And he's about to expose the fruitlessness of the temple. And there are things that are supposed to be happening in the temple. The temple is this nice, leafy-looking place. It's beautiful. There's a lot of activity. It looks like there's good stuff going on. But the temple is supposed to be a place of prayer, of community care, a place where people come together and are bonded together in, in faith and in worship. But instead, in Jesus' own words, he says it has become a, a den of robbers. It's a place where the temple leaders are looking out for their own self-interest. It's a place where the temple leaders are overly concerned about their power, their influence. They're jealous of Jesus and his popularity. And so everything in the temple has been turned upside down. It's a place that's supposed to be bearing fruit, but it's fruitless. And so after cursing this fig tree on the way into the temple, Jesus walks into the temple. And this is the famous scene where he starts overturning tables. Uh, he starts driving people out. And, and a couple of the different gospel writers who tell us about this scene, they, they, Matthew and Mark both tell us that the temple leaders, like they see this and they're obviously furious. They're looking for a way to arrest him. But Jesus is, he's too popular with the crowds. The crowds are too amazed by everything that he's doing, so they can't arrest him. So he leaves. He goes back out to Bethany. The next morning, they wake up. They're going to go back into the temple. They pass the tree. Peter sees the tree. He's like, hey, Jesus, look, that tree's dead. <laughs> and so they talk about that for a little bit. They keep going to the temple. 
They get to the temple. This is the day after Jesus has just eviscerated their leadership, right? They get to the temple, and the, and the temple leaders say to Jesus, who gave you authority to do this? Like, who do you think you are? Do you think you own the place? And Jesus is like, well, actually, you know, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but this is what the, like, who do you think you are coming in here, telling us what to do, acting like you've got all this authority? And so in response, Jesus tells this story. This is where I pick up in, in Mark chapter 12. This is, like, this is in a couple of different Gospels. I think I said in the e- email at the beginning of this week, we're going to be in Matthew, but I switched. So this is also in Matthew 21, but we're going to be in Mark 12. If you're sufficiently confused now, it's going to be on the screen. <laughs> you're welcome. It's all right. Keep it going, Tamisha. You just <laughs> let me know if I confuse you. We can back up. <laughs> Mark 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Uh, now, already, the, the beginning of this story may not mean anything to us if you're just reading this story, but the, the beginning of this story actually matches up almost exactly with a parable that Isaiah tells in Isaiah 5. We're not going to go read it this morning, but if you want to look at it later, Isaiah 5, Isaiah tells, almost a, 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 he tells a story about a vineyard that begins in almost the same way. And the point there is very similar, that, that God has given Israel every chance to succeed and bear fruit, but because their leaders are, are corrupt and self-interested, they haven't. And so this is a recurring theme. And so Jesus is kind of picking up on that and riffing on the, the beginning of that story to the point that if an, Israel, if, if an audience in Israel hears the beginning of this story, they would clue into that. Just as if I began a story by saying something like, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, like you would, you would hear that and you would recognize that and that would, that would frame your expectations about what else I was going to say. You kind of have a frame of reference, a beginning point for, for maybe where else you would expect the story to go and then if it went in a different direction, that may be part of the twist, right? And so this is similar for Jesus. That Jesus is picking up on some language very familiar to them from Isaiah, but then he takes it kind of in his own direction. He says, then... He rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. Now, if you're thinking about kind of who these people represent, it's largely kind of thought that these are kind of the prophets that have been going to to the nation of Israel for generations and generations. They've been mistreated, they've been ignored, they've been killed, they've been beaten, all these things that he's going through there. So that brings us then to verse 6, where he says, He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. Now, post Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the the imagery there is is clear for us. He's talking about himself uh, and himself who's being sent now to Israel. 
to Israel's leaders. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him. This is great. Because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Like there's sometimes that Jesus' parables, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, there's sometimes Jesus tells his parables in a way that, that is sort of intentionally vague. And so those who are ready to hear it get the message and everyone else is kind of left confused. But this one, he gets to the end of it and the religious leaders, they know he's talking about us. And, and they do not like that. <laughs> so they start looking for a way to arrest him because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. And so one of the themes I think we find in Jesus' ministry is like the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the closer he gets to the place of his arrest uh, and an eventual death, the more and more direct and pointed he gets in his criticism against the Jewish leadership, uh, against the religious leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, all these people, gets more and more direct as he gets closer. Now he's in Jerusalem at the temple, and he's just, he's not holding back. Literally overturning tables, driving people out, telling stories directly against the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the, the teachers of the law. And they know it. And so this whole encounter begins, I mean, if, even if you just take the day before out of it, right? The encounter on this day begins with the religious leaders saying, who gave you this authority? And in, in response, Jesus tells a story that they know is directed at them. Jesus tells a story about their position being taken away from them and given to someone else. That's quite the turn, <laughs> Jesus, instead of just saying, you know, here's who gave me this authority. He's already said he's not going to answer that question. Instead, he just says, these places of authority that you think you have, they're going to be given to somebody else because you're not bearing any fruit. You're like that fig tree out there on the way to Bethany who looks nice and green and leafy but actually doesn't have any figs on it. And this is a recurring theme, I think, in a lot of Jesus' stories uh, as, as, as it relates to kind of these positions of, of authority, these invited positions that have been opened up to these religious leaders being taken away from them because they haven't been, been responsible, they haven't been fruitful with the positions they've been given. In fact, in Matthew, there, there's another parable that's recorded in a couple of different places. And in Matthew, it's told right after the telling of this parable. But it's a parable many of you may know. It's a parable of the wedding banquet. This king, this, this uh, person of, of money, throws a, a wedding banquet for his son. Sends a servant out. Says, go out and invite 
everyone, go in and bring in everyone that I've invited for the feast is ready. So he goes out to, to let the invited guests know, but they all say, for whatever reason, they can't come. So the king says, all right, then just go out and invite anyone you can find. In one version, it says, go out and invite the poor, the blind, the lame, the sick. In Matthew's version of it, it says, go out and find anybody. It says, bring in the good and the bad. <laughs> in other words, just go out and bring people in. If those people I invited aren't going to come, all right, we've got a lot of food here. We've got a banquet hall. <laughs> just go bring in whoever will come. And so that's what happens, and the banquet is full. And it's this repeated theme that if, if the people who have been given these, these places of authority, these places of privilege, aren't going to use their places of privilege and authority and position to serve others and to produce fruit, fruit that's in keeping with Jesus' vision of the kingdom, Jesus is like, all right, I'll go out and find someone else who will. <laughs> and so repeatedly, repeatedly the leaders scoff at the idea that Jesus hangs out with sinners and that he eats with tax collectors. And repeatedly they question his authority, they're jealous of his appeal, and they're concerned about what all this means for them and for their status and for their places of power, probably their money, on and on we could go. And in response, Jesus tells stories where, where people like sinners and tax collectors are given places of honor and importance and stories about the leaders being stripped of their positions and judged for their lack of fruit-bearing. And the leaders of the day are convinced that they, that they have embodied the kingdom of God. They've got all the answers. They know what to do. They, they think they're the keepers of the law. We're doing everything right. Like, they're convinced the kingdom of God looks a lot like us. And I think, I think that's just kind of human nature, right? To be convinced that that the kingdom of God looks something like me because <laughs> I'm a pretty good person. And Jesus comes along and he says, actually, actually to these leaders, he says, no, you're the tenants and the invited guests who had every opportunity to bear fruit and to respond to the invitation, but whose responsibilities and spots are now going to be given to those who you would least expect to be given a spot. And the cornerstone imagery that Jesus references as a part of that teaching is borrowed directly from another part of the Old Testament, from Psalm 118. And Jesus uses that imagery to accuse the leaders of rejecting him, and in doing so, rejecting the work of God as displayed in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so this is another one of those parables that has a, a direct a timely and a contextual application for Jesus' time against the religious leaders of the day. Uh, it's a protest against Israel's leaders and their lack of fruit. And it's a message that is, that is carried out in this sort of enacted parable uh, with, with Jesus and the fig tree that is then carried over in, in sort of spoken or narrative form in his parable of the tenants and in his actions at the temple. It's a message that specifically for the disciples is then reinforced in a couple of different ways. And you know, you know that interaction with the fig tree had to be impactful for them. Uh, for one thing, because it's, it's recounted in at least in, in two of these different gospel, you know, accounts that we have that are written years after the fact. <laughs> 
So this little interaction with this fig tree stayed with them. It's like, remember when Jesus was doing all that with the, with the temple, but then on the way, fig tree thing happened, then it was dead. Like, yeah, he's, he seemed to be doing something there. But I think, even though it had this specific and kind of timely application, that there's something for us to hear in this parable as well. I think it's a challenge for all of us to think about the fruit that we are producing and the extent to which we have surrendered ourselves to Jesus' reign, to Jesus' lordship in our life, and to Jesus' vision of the kingdom. Because ultimately, that's his critique of them, is that I have come as the cornerstone, as the one that all of this is going to be built upon, and all you can do is look at me and say, well, who gave you this authority? And that's where the story ends, right? You're like, what do you mean, who gave me this authority? You've rejected me, and I'm telling you, I'm the cornerstone that all of this is built on. And so ultimately, that's at the root of their, their lack of bearing fruit. And so there's a challenge, I think, for us to consider, like, are there places in my life where I'm pushing against the will and the teachings of Jesus? Are, are there places in my life that, that I'm, I'm sort of still pretty self-interested are there places in my life where I maybe haven't given complete surrender over to Christ and, and in doing so am failing to bear the fruit of the Spirit that God has called and equipped me to bear in my life? And so on one hand, I think this should be an incredibly challenging message and parable and teaching for us. But on the other hand, I also think it's, it's a parable, it's a message somewhat of, of comfort and encouragement. And, and I mean that because of this. Uh, when Jesus walked over to that fig tree, he expected to find on it figs, right? Uh, when Isaiah tells the story about the grapevines, the vineyard that, that Jesus borrows the imagery from in his parable, he says that the, the vineyard owner expected to find grapes, same thing in Jesus' parable. The vineyard owner wants to find grapes. And this may be kind of obvious, but, but Jesus doesn't go to a fig tree expecting to find strawberries. <laughs> he doesn't go to the fig tree expecting to find breakfast burritos, which would have been a much better breakfast. <laughs> like, he just goes to it expecting to find figs. In other words, all these stories are told from a reference that He's expecting to find on these things the things that they are designed, equipped, and, and given the opportunity to produce. That's all. Not anything that's beyond their capability, their giftedness. Not anything that, that, that goes beyond what they have been kind of put in place to do. You're a fig tree, produce figs. And the encouragement for that, I think, is that as Christians, uh, hopefully, I think we have this belief that we have been gifted with something that, that, should bear, that is going to bear fruit in the kingdom of God if we're faithful to that. We have been gifted in a way by the Creator that's going to bring honor to His name, that's going to glorify Him, that is going to be beneficial to the kingdom of God. And each of our fruit that we are called to bear is going to look different. If you're a fig tree, be a fig tree. There you go. Keep it going, Tamisha. <laughs> we're going to switch spots in a minute. Tamisha's going to finish out. <laughs> If you're a fig tree, be a fig tree. If you're a grapevine, produce grapes. If your gift is encouragement, do it and do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. 
And don't, don't be upset. Don't be jealous. Don't, don't, be, um, don't wish that God had made you something else, right? Encourage and do it well because the kingdom of God needs encouragers. If you're a teacher, teach and do it well. Do it to the best of your abilities. Don't wish that God had made you something else and, and don't be frustrated that, man, you know, I, I, I don't see places where I can do this or I, I really wish I could do this instead. Teach and teach well. Find people to mentor. Uh, we're getting ready, hopefully, as long as Delta variant doesn't destroy any of more plans. Like, we're, we're, we're wanting to be at a place where we can bring back our kids' classes. We're going to need teachers. We're going to need people willing to invest in places of ministry as we keep opening up more and more places of ministry. We're going to need people to invest, and we're going to be making calls for those things. Find places to plug in and, and, and do that. If your gift is, is mercy, forgiveness, being willing and, and able to be the person who puts an arm around someone who is messed up and who needs a second chance. There's a need in the kingdom of God for that. God has equipped each of us with a role to play in the kingdom. He's not looking for you to play someone else's role. He's not looking for you to save the world or the church. That's someone else's role. Jesus took care of that. He needs us to produce figs, to produce grapes, to produce strawberries, watermelon, it's lunchtime, we could get hungry, naming all kinds of fruit. <laughs> Whatever it is that God has equipped you to do and given you opportunity and places in life to do, to do it and do it well and to do it faithfully. And to trust that when we do that, God will bless the work of us as individuals, as families, as community, as church, and God will keep pouring into us then opportunities to use those gifts. I think that's what he's getting at here, is that if you're faithful, faithful to what God has given you, God's going to keep giving you more and more. Not in terms of financial, not necessarily in terms of financial resources, right? Although that may be part of it, to carry out re, you know, ministry efforts and things like that. But when God sees people using the gifts that he has given them, when God sees people bearing fruit, and there are going to be more and more opportunities that are poured into that so that we can continue to work in the kingdom and bear fruit in the kingdom. Jesus reminds us, though, that at the root of that is this reminder that, that the way that we are best able to bear fruit is when we, we give ourselves over to Christ, when we surrender ourselves to Christ. And each Sunday, we, we remember Christ and his sacrifice, his life, his teachings. We, we do so as we share in communion together each Sunday. And as we do so this morning, may we be encouraged uh, that, that Jesus has called us each, Jesus has invited us each to play a role in the kingdom. And may we consider what that looks like for us this week as we go out into our lives. Consider what it looks like for us to bear fruit, for us to wear proudly the freedom that we have in Christ, and for that to be seen in the ways that we live in the ways that we utilize our gifts, in the, ways that we, um, in the ways that we are faithful to who God has created us to be and the opportunities that he has put in front of us. And so we're going we're gonna to share in a time of communion, a time of reflection, as we consider Jesus, the freedom that he has bought for us, uh, the, the salvation that is available to us in him, the new life that is available to us in him, and the opportunity that we have to bear fruit in the name of Jesus this week. So would you stand? We're going to pray our prayer of confession together this morning, and then we will we'll share in a time of communion.
Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen.